Welcome to Stories in Life. You're on the radio with Mark and Joe. We share stories that affirm your belief in the goodwill, courage, determination, commitment, and vision of everyday people. Our goal is that through another person's story, you may find connection, no matter your place in life. The stories we select will be inspiring and maybe help you laugh, cry, think, or change your mind about something important in your life. Join us for this episode of Stories in Life. There's a passion you have about building character in these children. Where does that come from? Yeah, I think it comes from, oh, that's a great question. I think a lot of it comes from the fact that I'm fed up with how a lot of things are going in the world right now. And if we can invest time and energy into building character in young people, then not too far down the road, we might see a change um, because we're going to have people of character holding positions of power. And so if we can get as many kids in a positive situation as possible now, it won't be long until we see some positive change. Welcome to our show. Today we're here with Emily Boyle, a middle school teacher at a private school in St. Paul, Minnesota. She teaches 7th grade English, 8th grade literature, and 8th grade geography. She has uh, her own outlook on what teaching in America is today, and she's going to shed some light on that for us. So welcome, Emily. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. Uh, I have to share that the first time I met Emily was at uh, Joe's home for a Christmas party. And she walked in the door, and within a few minutes, we realized that we have a mutual friend who was an advisor in her college program. So that was really fun. But also, I picked up right away what a really talented teacher she is. So this has been a goal of ours, to get her in front of the microphone and have her tell a little bit about her experience as a teacher. Let's set the stage. Tell us about your education. My education. Well, I have kind of an interesting perspective um, as a student because I've only attended private school my entire life. Um, So I went to a private K through eight school um, in the suburb of St. Paul growing up. And then I attended a private high school in St. Paul And then I went to the College of St. Benedict for college in central Minnesota. Um, And I really enjoyed school as a kid. I, I think it was pretty much for the social aspect of it, not necessarily the academic aspect of it. As a young kid, I struggled a little bit academically. I was young in my grades, so I was a little bit 
I don't want to use the word immature because I don't think that what it, that's what it was, but I struggled a little bit academically probably because I wasn't necessarily prioritizing it, but things like reading came a little hard for me um, at those lower grade levels. And I was a little downtrodden. I had a kind of a bad outlook on how I performed academically. I always saw academics as kind of a second. That was the second thing that school is about. School is really about getting there, seeing my friends, laughing, spending time outside, recess, gym, those sort of things for me as a kid. Um, And then by the time I got into middle school and it was kind of time to buckle down a little bit, I was really lucky to have some amazing teachers that saw the things that interested me and saw my areas of strength and really brought that out in me as a student and made me realize like, oh, I am actually strong academically. I have a lot of strength and intelligence in a lot of different areas. I just had to kind of learn how to grow those. Was there any specific uh, moment that kind of lit your fuse? Yeah, I remember in sixth grade literature, I had an amazing literature teacher and he kind of just pulled me aside early on in the year and said, like, I noticed that you're a little apprehensive about reading and he chose great books. We were reading stuff like trying to think in sixth and seventh grade, we were reading books like Freak the Mighty and Of Mice and Men and Animal Farm. And I enjoyed them, but I just wasn't like I would the home. I would do fine enough to get by on the homework, stuff like that. And he started asking me about what I like to read. And I said, oh, well, I'm actually not really a good reader because that was kind of the message I had got as a kid when I struggled. And he just started pulling books for me, he had me read The Outsiders. He had me read To Kill a Mockingbird and it just like immediately clicked. And if you haven't realized by now, listeners, Joe is my dad. So he kind of saw all this happen as I was growing up and it got to the point where like we'd be in the boat up at the cabin and he'd look up and I'd have put my rod away and I'd just have a book out on my lap reading um, so once that fire kind of started in me, then it was hard to put down. And as you start to read more, you grow your vocabulary, your strength, and all the other academic areas improves. And all of a sudden I was doing well in school. And I think it's because I finally got into reading. Sounds like you were really appreciative of that teacher. Yeah. You saw something in you that some capacity or capability that you were under maybe under emphasizing. Did you know at that point that you wanted to emulate that? Yeah, I do really feel like I knew at a young age, probably late middle school, early high school, that that was something that was meaningful to me and something that I felt like I could do. It's People always ask me, when did you, did you know you wanted to be a teacher? And it's hard for me to answer. It's more so like, when did I, when's the last time I didn't know that I wanted to be a teacher? It kind of felt more like that because- I even remember like in high school, I just thought like, well, that's what I'm going to do. And I do really think it was because of my middle school teachers, particularly my literature teachers, but all of them were great. And it was really that fine balance of they worked hard to make sure I was successful academically, but I could tell they were working hard to know who I was as a person and then kind of channeling that into being successful. Is that also why you chose being a middle school teacher versus a high school teacher Little ones. Yeah, I, it was hard. That's harder to say because through college I had spent time in all different grade levels and there were a few that I knew like, Ooh, definitely don't want to do that. Like I knew I didn't want to do first grade. I knew I didn't want to do kindergarten, but I enjoyed third grade. I enjoyed fourth grade. I actually probably my most negative experience in like a college practicum was in a middle school. 
Um, and so that kind of scared me almost away from middle school. And then when I student taught, I student taught in third grade and it went really well. And I remember my advisor saying like, I think third grade's your spot. And then my second placement was in a sixth, seventh and eighth grade classroom. And I just knew right away. I was like, that's it. And I think it's partially because I loved middle school and I had great middle school teachers, but a lot of it's because middle schoolers are so weird. They're so weird and they're so fun. And I feel like I'm so weird and we just vibe in class. It's, it's a good time. And it takes a special type of person, I think, to teach middle schoolers. And my middle school teaching team is a bunch of weirdos that have a blast at work and enjoy what they do. And you don't find that everywhere. Well, I was going to ask you, what does a good day feel like? What does it look like? <laughs> oh, every day is an adventure in middle school. A good day is no... Well, what a good day consists of for me is I get through the material that I need to get through would be ideal, but that's not make or break. When I see my students learning, but also when I see my students, it's such a pivotal age when I see them doing kind things for each other. When I see like at the start of this school year, we had a lot of new kids. And when I would see kids, including new students that were, they saw kind of on the outs at recess or helping out a classmate with something, stepping into a leadership role. Because I think, like I experienced as a middle schooler, it's great to see them learning, but they're going to learn this stuff. That's our job. We're going to make sure they get the material that they need. But are they going to know how to be empathetic to others? Are they going to know how to be inclusive? Are they going to know how to stand up to friends when it's a hard situation to do? That's the sort of stuff that when I can see those things happen and help students get to that point, that's a good day for me. And I always say, even on the worst days, I usually laugh out loud at some point. And I feel like I talk to a lot of my friends who are in a lot of different professions and they're not laughing out loud every day at work. So I feel pretty lucky. So you got that going. (laughs) Well, one of the things that I really picked up on that story is that you're building character. Yeah, You see opportunities to help somebody, coach somebody, take the teachable moment and make it a lesson, Yep, which is really special. Absolutely. And I think I, I feel really lucky that the school that I work at makes that a priority. I don't necessarily know that that's a priority at every school. And I don't think it's because teachers don't want that to be part of their day. I just think there's such high expectations on teachers to get through so much stuff. It's unrealistic and it's impossible. And so Oftentimes things that fall to the wayside are stuff like building character and teaching empathy and having fun because when you have to check all the boxes and hit all the standards and meet all the benchmarks, that's not always the stuff that shines through. And I feel lucky that my school prioritizes those things. Yeah. So you've already beat the odds. Half the teachers who begin the profession are gone by their fifth year. So you've already, you're beyond your fifth year, you're in your sixth year of teaching, so you've already beat those odds. But one of the things that uh, Joe and I were talking about is the demands on teachers today. The to-do list you have, not just the students and the instruction, but all the duties beyond that. So Mm -hmm. just help our listeners understand a little bit what your day looks like. You know, if you wouldn't mind, just give us, run us through your day. What does it look like? All the things that you have to do. Well, I get to school. Um, Our contracted hours started about seven, between 7.30 and 7.40. I try to get there by 7.30. 
Um, students start coming at 7.50. They need to be in their seats by 8.15. In that time, I'm usually reading emails because I'll have emails from parents saying, oh, so-and-so is getting picked up midday, coming back after their orthodontist appointment. So-and-so is leaving early for soccer. Um, read all those things, X, Y, Z. And then I'll always have a few notes here and there about some other stuff. Or like this morning I had to get in early because I had students coming in to serve detention. Um, so, so, I, so are you a homeroom teacher? So I'm an eighth grade homeroom okay, teacher, all right, yes. All right. So I have 27 eighth graders in my homeroom. And then at 8.15 we do attendance. At 8.20 school starts, we teach, we have eight periods in the day. My free periods are actually first and second, which is not super ideal this year, but I feel productive in the morning. Um, but I'm also the director of our before and after school care program. So I usually get lots of emails from lower school parents who are telling me so-and-so is going to be at aftercare today. So-and-so is not going to be there. So-and-so is going to chess club first, but then after chess club, they need to get to aftercare, but then they're getting picked up by their friend's mom who's taking them to soccer. So stuff like that. So usually in my free periods, I spend time grading or planning and answering emails. And then I teach two sections of literature each 40 minutes, a section of geography, 40 minutes, lunch, 40 minutes, that's free period for me, two sections of English, each 40 minutes, and then a section of geography again at the end of the day. Wow. So multiple subjects, you've got a lot of preparation to do just for those subjects. I, I'm sure listeners are wondering your class size. That's always a big argument yeah. for teachers. What's your class size like these days? So we are at a private school, so we have smaller class sizes. Um, my Our eighth grade class is 57 students total, two homerooms. Our seventh grade is actually pretty small, so we there's a, roughly 20 kids or so in each of those classes. We try to keep in the middle school, we try to stay at that like 25 to 27 is Excellent. ideal to keep a healthy student body. Mm -hmm. um, so those low numbers are a little worrisome at times, but we have a lot of, we have some grades that have a wait list and some grades where there's a lot of openings. So that just kind of depends. What are some of the duties you have outside of instruction that you feel are important, but they're also more responsibility? Yeah. Well, I do, a, I monitor a recess duty every day. Um, or every week. And then I do dismissal duty every day. So that's like outside at the end of the day, making sure kids get where they need to get to. Like on the bus. And, yep. Okay. Um, making sure their parents are, they're in the right spots. It's safe. I mean, we're in the city. Pick so up, drop off, yeah, you want to make sure they're using the crosswalks and everyone's safe. I, I mean, obviously communication is a big one. And then, I mean, our students have needs and I feel like those needs range every year, but especially since the pandemic, I mean, Frequently in a day, there's at least a few times where I'm following up with a student about something that might have happened, checking in with someone, talking to the counselor about how things went with a meeting with a student. And then I also, we have our middle school team meetings once a week. I am help, I help with, I'm like co-chair of a program, our anti-bullying program at school. So I have duties for that. We plan weekly lessons for the school for that. And then just kind of the day-to-day -day stuff that comes up. And now it's time for Stories in Life, Art from the Heart, Deep Thoughts from the Shallow End. Each episode, we bring you a poem, a song, or a reading just for you. 
maybe the hardest part is you, if if you teach, you have to live your teaching. Mm. You can't uh, say you do not as I do, but do as I say. No, no. You have to say I'm doing my best to live what I teach. I have a painting by Phoebe of a group that she calls Sister Suki's Funeral. And they all the women, there are about nine women, and they, they all look like women in my grandmother's uh, prayer meeting group. So whenever I'm obliged to do something, I take that painting, and I look at that painting. There's an empty chair. And I think, now, what would Grandma do? What would she say? I can almost hear her voice say, now, sister, you know what's right. Just do right. You don't really have to ask anybody. The truth is, right may not be expedient. It may not be profitable. But it will satisfy your soul. you the kind of protection that bodyguards can't give you. Try to be all you can be, to be the best human being you can be. Try to be that in your church, in your temple. Try to be that in your classroom. Do it because it is right to do. You see, people will know you, and they will add their prayers to your life. They'll wish you well. I think if your name is mentioned and people say, oh, hell, oh, damn, <laughs> I think you're doing something wrong. But if your name is mentioned and people say, oh, she's so sweet, he's so nice, oh, I love, oh, God bless her. There you are. So try to live your life in a way that you will not regret years of useless virtue and inertia and timidity. Take up the, uh, the battle. Take it up. It's yours. This is your life. This is your world. I'll be leaving it long before you under the ordinary set of circumstances. You make your own choices. You can decide life isn't worth living. And that would be the worst thing you can do. How do you know? So far. Try it. See. So pick it up. Pick up the battle and, and make it a better world. Just where you are. Yes. And it can be better. And it must be better. But it is up to us. That's a wonderful message from Maya Angelou. It's a video on YouTube that is produced by Oprah Winfrey. It's a wonderful message. And the one thing that I think about when I reflect on Emily's story of being a teacher is how authentic she is. Yep. She, she is who she is in that classroom. and She's always been that way, too. You know, it's just such a gift to be a great teacher like her and capable of teaching content and character. Right. Equally, and, and it's a, they're of equal importance. They are, and she challenges. First of all, I think she really knows her students, and she's interested in them. She's interested in them as people, 
And then she challenges them to be better people, which is such a wonderful gift. Right. And, and I remember how she was impacted by some excellent teachers in middle school. And now I think she's an excellent teacher for her students. She's impacting their lives. You know, I know that uh, because you're her dad, that you're very proud of what she does. But you also see her talents uh, as uh, as another person in society. You can Absolutely. see her contributions that she makes. Yep. And the story she tells you about yep. that. I heard lots of positive feedback. Let's put it that way. I'm very proud. Yeah. So the next short segment is uh, she's going to tell us a little bit about her view about the teacher shortage and maybe why that's happening today. And I think she'll touch on uh, compensation and maybe perception of teachers. So let's listen to her comments about that, and then we'll come back, folks, and wrap up this episode with you. No teachers went into the profession with the misgiving of the fe- like thinking that they're going to receive endless thanks and all of that. The thanks are great, but what we need to do is compensate teachers for their work the same way we compensate almost every other profession for their work. Um, And we just don't do it in America. And people are realizing their worth and their value. And it's not that they aren't passionate about the profession, but like I just said, the laundry list of duties goes on and on and on. And the work is not compensated the way that work would be compensated in any other field. Well, and if you lose good teachers because they're not earning enough money and they have to earn more as a second income in their family, you know, that's, that's tough. That's absolutely. And I frequently think about the fact that I'm able to do all of these other side things to make enough money to live comfortably because I'm only supporting myself. The idea that if I needed to support a spouse or a child or multiple children, I would, there's no way I'd be able to commit the time that I do to the things that I do. And I, I do all those because I need to support one person. So the idea that people are supporting families off of teacher incomes is crazy to me and it's upsetting to me and it should be upsetting to everybody because everybody's had a teacher that cared and worked to get them to where they are right now. And the fact that people aren't, the fact that our country as a whole and our system isn't doing that. It's not that I don't think people feel that way. They do, but it's kind of like the thoughts and prayers. The feelings are there, but where's the action? Well, her words about compensation for teachers speak for themselves, Joe. Yeah, that must ring true for you as an educator. It certainly does. Uh, I have just have tremendous amount of respect for teachers and those people working in education today because their work is so very important. Well, we have a pretty exciting second episode with Emily. Uh, I know that she's going to tell us some more stories. Yep. She's going to get into how she builds character and the use of technology and um, maybe the impact of AI and that sort of thing. That's It's going to be really interesting. If you, if you like this one, you're really going to like part two. The song We're Going to Be Friends is by the White Stripes off their White Blood Cells album from 2001. And the Just Do Right video by Dr. Maya Angelou 
was produced by Oprah Winfrey, directed by Joe Berliner, and it's available on YouTube. Thanks for listening again, folks. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please join us again next time on Stories in Life on the radio with Mark and Joe. And visit our website at storiesinlife.buzzsprout.com or email us at storiesinlifepodcast at gmail.com.